Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 78, Change Log and Updates. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing very good. How are you? Great. Uh, this episode is going to be about changes to products we've talked about. And I wanted to put this together because we we're like, well, there's a new version of this. There's a new version of that. Me and G were going back and forth. They're like, well, there's a lot of little new versions that are incremental changes. And they don't warrant, I think, a complete new dedicated video to the new version. But cumulatively, if we talk about these projects that we have other podcast episodes on, we say, hey, you know, people maybe have a good weekend project coming up here because uh, if you're in the United States, at least I was reminded of this just the other day um, that it's not a not an international holiday, just a U.S. holiday is Thanksgiving. That is going to be tomorrow. So if you have some extra downtime over this extended days, uh, maybe you want to update to some of these projects we're going to talk about. Yep. And I think actually uh, Jay's Jay's doing a last minute ad. So if he looks if for those of you watching this and wondering if Jay looks a little pensive staring at it. <laughs> that's yeah, I'm actually doing some updates right now. So we could maybe just get right into the ad read. And then after that, I'll talk about what I'm up to. Yep, absolutely. And our ad sponsor today is Linode. And we we seem to have gotten an email from them that they're going to continue sponsoring it. <laughs> and we're just talking about that. They've been actually great. I got to meet some of Linode people in person at an event I was at a couple of weeks ago, which is really cool. Uh, great company and a great race to host the projects that we talk about. If you're listening to this podcast because you downloaded it, you downloaded it from our server that is hosted on Linode. Thanks to Jay for maintaining that. Uh, but it's a great place to host your projects. We had an offer code down below for the Home Lab Show if you'd like to use Linode. And we thank them for being a sponsor of the show yeah. all right well we have uh people jumping in the live stream here jay live updating things uh, i can start with a few things mm -hmm. uh that are coming and one of them is kind of a big one and this is i love xcp and g for virtualization it's been my go-to virtualization platform um jay likes proxbox and there's nothing wrong with proxbox you know you guys can debate it in the comments we've uh both me and jay have covered them he's got in-depth videos on proxbox i have in-depth videos on xcp and g so whichever one you choose hey they're both a good choice but the new 8.3 release candidate or they call it alpha, but I'm going to call it more like a release candidate of XCPNG is out and it has some really cool new features. Now, one of the big complaints with XCPNG and, you know, point to uh, team Proxbox over there is having an integrated, I don't have to load third party management tool for the web interface. This is one of the challenges sometimes people have with XCPNG is there's a component called Zen Orchestra that is the best way to manage all your instances, but obviously it's a third party load. Uh, their XO Lite system is coming to the XCPNG. Now you can actually load this in the 8.2, the current stable release, but they're coming integrated with ExoLite. So ExoLite is uh, slowly coming along, but nonetheless, I mentioned these things because I think the Home Lab crew is also the, hey, let's test it crew. So I think it's kind of exciting to play with some of the new things, participate in their forums and feedback of how to make it better. Also of great interest to the Home Lab people in this 8.3 release is going to be better Intel NUX support, two and a half gig NIC support. So yes, those Intel and Realtek 2.5 gig NICs, they've added drivers in 8.3 for those. VM snapshot with disk exclusion. Now this is for all of you doing uh, special pass-through things where you want to do snapshots and it wants to snapshot all the drives. They've kind of 
baked in now the uh, snapshot disk exclusion and VTPM support. Now I haven't tested uh, that yet, but that's coming here in 8.3. I believe that's still a little rough around the edges, but progress is being made for those of you that need the VTPM. So that's the uh, kind of good list of updates. Just a blog post, easy to find. I'll actually throw it in the show notes, uh, but it's on the xcpng.org slash blog. They have all these details in there. So I'm pretty excited about the new release coming out. Um, when it finally drops, I will probably do an updated video because it's been a little while since I did a getting started with xcpng, but I'm you know, really excited where the project's going. It's amazing how fast they're iterating on all of these things. And hopefully soon I'll be talking about their new uh, SNM API, the, the basically the storage driver. They're building a completely new storage layer uh, that's going to be greatly enhanced from the current one. So that's also kind of coming. I know people always ask about their hyper-converged solution. It's all kind of tangled in there going forward. And by their own words, the old one, Yes, it's full of spaghetti code. Yes, it's old. That's why they decided to do the hard work that is called refactoring. They're not fixing the spaghetti code anymore. They refactored a completely new uh, update to it. So it's going to be substantially better. Um, and Jay will tell you, man, there's not many places that want to refactor. Everyone just keeps grabbing the spaghetti code and throwing a little more spaghetti code on top of the spaghetti code. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if I'm the only one that likes refactoring, that actually that enjoys it. That might sound insane, but there's something about taking a really long programmer script and condensing it down and it's the same program, but it just is just so much easier to maintain. And then later on, you'll appreciate it because when you go back to make a, you know, an adjustment to it. Yeah. That's very easy for me to find what I'm looking for because it's well refactored, consolidated, condensed, and it just looks great. But um, I know a lot of people probably uh, just don't have time to do that though. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Um, with any of these projects is time. People want the fixes now. They go, hey, I'd really like to see this added to the product. Well, to do it right, it's going to be a six month to a year project of paying people to refactor code to bolt it on the existing code and uh, twine it in there and tangle it with the current spaghetti code. Yeah, you can get that done in about 30 days and you'll get the thing. It won't work as well as the refactored version, but you know, that, that's where it always comes down to how much runway do you have? Because somewhere along the line, someone has to pay all these technicians or uh, do the time it takes to get that done. And in the meantime, are you worried someone will go somewhere else looking at a different product? So yeah, it's, there's a lot. Yep. Yeah, totally. So right. speaking of virtualization, we have um, Proxmox uh, version 7.3 is out. I discovered it like two minutes after I wake up. I'm just you know, getting up out of bed, check my phone. Oh, there's new Proxmox. Great. So I know what I'm going to be doing later. And that's one of the things that I'm updating right now as uh, as we talk, because I figured, you know, that, that'd be kind of fun. Why wait until after? This is kind of what we do, right? We check out new things and we, I don't know about you guys, but I like new things. It's kind of like when you get an update, it's like a present under the Christmas tree. Oh, but yeah. There's no Christmas tree, but but it's really nice, the, the feeling. And you keep getting that feeling every time there's something new that's out with something that you enjoy and there's a new feature. Um, so given that, you know, Proxmox, I only just discovered that it was out as of today, which it might've actually came out today. I think there might be a time zone difference. It's the date is yesterday, the 22nd on the release notes, but again, time zone difference. I have no idea. So this is version 7.3. So it's not like an 8.0. We're not expecting like um, a major overhaul of anything. 
But they have some interesting things here. For example, offline update support, something that, yes, I know, um, XCPNG has had that <laughs> you know, forever because it inherited that from Citrix. But you know, if, if for, whatever, for whatever reason, if you have an offline Proxmox, which you know, that's probably the most secure way to run anything is completely offline, then you could download patches onto a flash drive or something as long as the, you know, the repository you're getting the patches from isn't like completely broken into, then yeah, that's probably a good uh, secure way to do that. And it has support for that. So you can load your updates on a flash drive and you, you can do it, which is interesting to me because Technically, it's always had that feature because Debian allows you to do that. You could just dump a bunch of Deb packages on a flash drive and mount it and just uh, install all of them. But, you know, it's better to have official support than doing it that way. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way, but sometimes you might want a more official way of doing that. But again, I'm just checking it out for the first time and I'm updating my Proxmox servers right now as <laughs> we're talking, as well as um, TrueNAS. I'm also updating TrueNAS as well. So other features in 7.3, support for Ceph Quincy. Quincy is the 17th release of Ceph, apparently. So it supports that. There's templates for all Linux and things like that. I don't know if I, I thought I saw that in the release notes, but it's there. Yeah, I've um, seen there's a lot of new templates in there. I was, I was reading through yep. release details. That's on the release details page. Yep, and there's tags. Um, well, tags are visible in the UI, and apparently you could edit them in the UI as well, which is pretty cool. Initial support for cluster resource scheduling in this release. So that sounds pretty promising. So it's not going to be one of those life-changing releases, but there's just a lot of really cool updates that will definitely make the experience better. And now that the packages are done downloading, I'm going to restart my Proxmox servers now and uh, be on the new release. So yeah, apparently we have a new Proxmox to check out for those of you running on that platform, which is always pretty cool. And another thing I thought about bringing up was the new Fedora, because I really like it. It's really good. And some people might be thinking, well, that's a workstation. I mean, it's right in the name, Fedora Workstation. We're not running servers on Fedora, are we? Well, there is a server version of Fedora. So yes, some people are doing that. And I covered Fedora 37 in a uh, dedicated video review I put on the channel recently. And I really liked it. The uh, Raspberry Pi version just didn't work at all, which was really weird. That's one of the highlights of the release is that there's official support for the Raspberry Pi 4. Doesn't work, at least in my experience. I uh, re-imaged a flash drive or excuse me, SD card like, I don't know, six or seven times and it could, just couldn't get it to boot. But then I on that same flash, or I keep saying flash drive, that same SD card, I loaded Ubuntu, the Pi version of that, it's fine. So the hardware is fine, and it's the Pi I use for many different things. But for some reason, um, their official Pi support didn't include a full QA of the release, huh. apparently. Um, but that being said, maybe they'll get that fixed really soon. I hope they do. And um, yeah, that's something that everyone can enjoy once that's up and running. But Raspberry Pi version aside, it's running on uh, Linux kernel 6 and GNOME 43. I, I still say Fedora has the best implementation of the GNOME desktop, vanilla GNOME specifically, than any other distribution out there. Just so tightly integrated in a way where it's like, um, I mean, there's GNOME OS, which is a reference distribution for implementing GNOME. But I feel like Fedora is the better reference distribution for GNOME because it's a fully usable workstation distribution that's come a long way. It has a lot of software for it. 
and you get the latest GNOME desktop, the latest software. So there's not really a whole lot to say about Fedora 37 in terms of the workstation version. But getting back to the home lab side of things, uh, Fedora Core OS is an official flavor, which is really cool. Um, and it's interesting because we used to remember Fedora as Fedora Core. That's what, it, what its first name was. And then later on, it became Fedora Workstation. And now we're putting Core back in the name, but it's not the Workstation version. It's a comp completely separate version of Fedora that is dedicated for running container workloads. And it's something that I mean to try out pretty soon. I, I actually can't wait to get my hands on it and check this out. But if you wanted a container operating system, then that could be a very good thing to check out. And there's also Fedora Server that's not new, that's existed for a while. So I'd be interested to hear from people that are running Fedora Server on, on their home lab. That'd be pretty cool to find out what that experience is like for other people. I haven't actually had a chance to check that out in a while, so I hope to do so. But Fedora Cloud is back. Apparently, it went away. I never knew that was the case. But the Fedora Cloud version, <laughs> just like the name implies, is a cloud image for you know um, OpenStack, um, cloud providers. There's a QCow image, I believe, for your virtualization platforms. So if you want an image that's basically designed to be run as a virtual machine, well, now you have that again, I guess. <laughs> so that's a little weird, but um, you know, the Raspberry Pi version, I only mentioned that just in case anyone wants to run that. And we have we have a lot of Raspberry Pi fans in our audience. But overall, I think Fedora 37, other than the Raspberry Pi situation, is is a really good release. I do recommend it a lot. I, I think it's very fast. Um, it just feels like buttery smooth. It's just a really great experience. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, I... I'm still stuck in the Debian and Ubuntu worlds. It's funny because I started out on Red Hat in the 90s, right. but I switched sometime in 2003 or four. I can't remember exactly. It's about, about the same the time for me. Yeah, absolutely the same. Fedora, Red yeah. Hat, Fedora, and then around the same time it was Ubuntu. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't have any problem with it. It's just like you stay with the environment you're familiar with. I haven't run into any hiccups. I can find good documentation on how to get things done. So that's usually the factors that keep you in a particular distro. Kind of of note, and yeah. this was kind of a hiccup with my uh, my Dell laptop. Um, I don't know if I'm going to review it or not because I don't think it's the best Linux laptop, but I do run Pop! OS on there. I had some problems when it moved to the Pop! OS moved to the 6.0 kernel. It had broke the ability to have audio. Um, the good news is the Pop! team actually had a fix for it to slow to migrate to the one version up in beta kernel, which then became the mainstream kernel after about a week. But that's been a. You know, Pop! OS is still my yeah. daily go-to for my desktop. I mean, I've thought about trying something else. I don't know. I, I'm just so used to it. everything just working in Pop! OS. <laughs> yeah, Pop! OS is still my favorite distribution. Um, but as I look at the look at the project, I do kind of feel like they're taking on too much. You know, yeah. maintaining a distribution is not easy, as I think everyone would know. Um, however difficult you think it is, like multiply that by at least five, if not 10. And that's how difficult it actually is, because, you know, you have to deal with um, the, the mirrors or the repositories from the distribution on which you base. Plus you have, you know, in their case, they have their own repository and all of that is great. But as they're putting out Linux kernel six, I start scratching my head because I, I know why they're doing it. And there's a good reason for this, because you have to have a newer kernel to have newer or support for newer hardware. So if you were to go to, I don't know, Best Buy or whatever your computer store of choice happens to be, 
and you buy the latest computer, um, a lot of Linux distributions will not work on it because if the Linux kernel in your distribution is older than the hardware you're installing it on, um, the same is true for Windows even. It can't yeah. know about hardware that you know exists in the future. So a new Linux kernel, anytime that's released, you get new driver support for updated hardware, which is great. But um, a lot of these LTS distributions stick on older kernels, which, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is it's a bad user experience when you buy a computer at the store that's brand new and it just doesn't work. And then the next version of the distribution does. So the reason why they're giving us the latest kernel, in this case, kernel six, is, is a good reason. But at the same time, Ubuntu is already doing this. They already put out new kernels that are, you know, QA'd through their system or go through their tool chain to be approved for release. And they actually keep the kernels updated on their end. So I also feel like there's no reason for Pop! OS or the developers of Pop! OS to custom bake kernels just to get a newer version when the distribution on which they base is already releasing newer kernels. Why not just use the kernels that they put out? But then... Um, Hopefully it gets rectified soon because the Linux uh, version six of the Linux kernel was actually very, very problematic and probably the most um, bug filled anything bug or Pop! OS has ever put out. <laughs> I mean, it's like breaking people's systems. It's making things unable to boot. Um, GPU issues are getting worse. Um, package updates are a problem. So yeah, that's a little concerning, but then again, everyone makes mistakes, but until um, as long as it doesn't get worse, and it gets better. Pop! OS is going to remain as my favorite distribution of choice because I think all of those issues have been worked out as of now. So as far as I know, shouldn't have any problems. It was a bad couple of weeks, but I guess we'll keep our eye on it. Yeah. I mean, the it's still better than the Windows update experience. So, But the bar's low. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you just had to go there, didn't you? I had to go there. Uh, I had you to had go to go there. there. Um, I do have so, a question I mean, for Kind of related uh, quickly, I'll ask a question yeah. of the audience and they can get some feedback to us on this. Um, do you want us to talk about any of the desktop things in Linux? Uh, me and Jay weren't sure exactly how aligned it is with the home lab, but I have a feeling a lot of you run Linux on your desktop. So uh, hit their feedback form, uh, hit us up on the socials and let us know if that's something you want us to kind of talk about or mention from time to time. Just it's a curiosity yeah. we have. And, and a, a little bit of a background on that. So um, when Ubuntu 2204 came out, we talked about it because that's an LTS release, something that's way more likely to be run on people's home labs. And with, with it, you know, with good reason, LTS, long-term support, that's what you want. The, you know, intermediary releases are just nine months of support, which, you know, it's kind of a trade-off. We love to update things, but rebasing on a new distribution or an updated one is a lot more work. So it's very common for people to stick to that. So we mentioned that. Now, Fedora... I thought was a good fit to mention today because there's a server version, there's core OS, there's all these server related things going on there. But then when we think about Ubuntu 22.10, we didn't talk about that yet because, well, are anyone, is, is there anyone out there? And let me know, let us know. Is there anyone out there running intermediary releases on your servers in particular? Now I'm not talking about your workstations at this point, like your VMs, your servers, are they running an intermediary release? I'd be interested to know. And my line of thinking was, well, if there's a home lab fit, I'll mention it. But again, like Tom mentioned, if uh, you feel differently, let us know. Yep. Um, should we talk about some TrueNAS updates? Yes. As a matter of fact, mine just came back up. So it was a successful update, actually. <laughs> 
Um, are, was you, are you updating TrueNAS core or are you updating TrueNAS scale? I haven't moved to scale yet. Okay. So we'll start with the core. And now the core releases, someone will undoubtedly say as they always do, but Tom, core is dead. All, you know, hell, the new version of scale. Um, hmm. But it's not really true as someone who just sold, uh, well, several hundred thousand dollars worth of servers to uh, clients with business support contracts for core. Uh, it's not dead. It's being well supported, but it's not where the innovation is going in terms of new features, because just like we talked about the new kernel six with great change comes great problems. So they are very slowly iterating, just updating versions. So when we, the release of TrueNAS core 13 U three, and then quickly after that 3.1, because of a bug found in Samba, they're not adding a whole lot on there. They're just kind of bumping versions of software up to the latest uh, little things are being added here and there. One of the interesting ones, and this might be of interest to the home lab people, and hey, let me know in the feedback if you guys have tried this. Uh, both TrueNAS Core and TrueNAS Scale have added StoreJ Cloud Sync Service. Now, if you're not familiar with StoreJ, I'm not giving it an endorsement just yet, but I have signed up for an account on this. StoreJ is a decentralized distributed cloud storage system that allows you to participate in uh, offering storage or getting storage back by how much you offer. It's kind of an interesting way to do storage. I want to dig into it deeper, but uh, it's actually being done in partnership with IX systems. Uh, so I would say it's actually a noteworthy change to integrate that in there because people are always going, okay, I know I have to back things up offsite. Good news is it is encrypted before it leaves. So it's safe to put things in the cloud provided you are the one in control of the keys. That's that's a really important factor when you think about it. I've talked about Backblaze and other cloud services uh, for backups because, you know, you can, especially if you're a home lab person, you may not have two physical locations, but you really should consider keeping your data in a secure place. Uh, the advantage, of course, of decentralized cloud isn't because it's decentralized, but because it's going to cost less. That's If, if you want to read between the lines and the buzzwords of the marketing team, it should be able to be a very cost-effective way to store things. I just am uncertain about some of the reliability over it a long time, but uh, the fact that it's got a big company behind it, I think it's worth mentioning. Um, there's a bunch of our little stuff that probably doesn't matter to most home users um, in terms of the uh, features, but you can find those in the release notes. I, I have a link. Uh, I just did a video where I break down the release notes in more detail than I'll spend on them here. Now, what is a little bit more exciting, and I think this aligns even more to the home lab people, is the release candidate of 22.12 Bluefin. So that is the TrueNAS scale release. Now, they've made a lot of environment fixes here and a lot of uh, cool things, including some eye candy refactoring of the web UI. That was actually one of the first things on their list. And hey, I think it's really cool that they did that. They're changing the way it lays things out a little. I think it's kind of a more coherent display. I don't think any of this is going to get ported back to scale uh, or ported back to core from scale, but it's still kind of cool that they're taking the time to like re- align things a little bit with how the web UI works. Um, they've had already customizable dashboards and things like that, but they go a lot further in making it a little bit prettier. Now, I did note in my video, there is a change with the way it handles the Docker file system. So you may run into an ACL problem uh, when you do an in-place upgrade, or if you add things and you have ACLs on data sets, they have a workaround for that that's noted. Um, it's, it's to lock things down in a more secure way, but 
there's obviously some insecure things uh, that can occur if you share a folder out and have one of your Docker images using that data set uh, for storage. So if you have a share attached to the data set and you have that attached data set, you could run into some uh, bugs in there. So I did note on note about that being a potential issue, but they've got an easy fix for it. It's just a matter of checking a little box to say, hey, don't check these uh features and you can go ahead and do it. Basically, it's like agreeing to be a potentially insecure situation on there. But nonetheless, uh, I really like the new where they're going with scale. Now, it is a release candidate, which means try at your own risk. But honestly, a little bit of me feels that the TrueNest scale has been a little bit buggy. They keep getting better at it, but it's still a little bit buggy for things. But then again, all the bugginess has really been based around the adding of Docker and Kubernetes, not around the actual device storage. So I've always felt my data is secure on there. That's not where the problems are. It's in the little hiccups I've run into with the add-ons that they built on there because it's still a NAS first with added on tools. Now, the last thing I'll mention is a virtualization. I've been testing it a lot more in scale and it works quite well with the stupid exception being there that's been noted since the old version of scale and Bluefin didn't fix this problem. If you set up your main management or whichever IP address comes that you're managing your uh, TrueNAS from and you connect your virtualization uh, to that, it can't ping it. And I don't know. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different workarounds for bridging and things like that, but natively it can't. And I don't understand why that's not fixed, uh, but that problem still persists in Bluefin. Either way, the virtualization uh, survived from the previous update to the newest update. So that hasn't been a problem. The virtual machines I created still work perfectly fine. And uh, I'll probably be doing a video on virtualization, the pros and cons of doing it inside of True NAS Scale. The pros being, hey, it's all in one server, so you're not getting more hardware. The cons being, well, it's not as advanced as Proxmox or XCPNG. But, you know, in terms of, hey, I need a place to run a couple of quick virtual machines or like I've been doing here, just kind of forking and building out a couple ideas I had and having a local machine to do it because that's what's here in my studio. Um, yeah, it worked pretty well for that. Cool. Bug problems in Samba. <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah. I, I see people posting that in the live stream. Um, the bug problem that they fixed was specific to um, some character problems in the shadow copies. It's kind of interesting how Samba presents shadow copies combined with TrueNAS. So the VSS system, volume shadow copy service that runs inside of Windows is emulated inside of TrueNAS. Now, the way it's emulated with, well, and this is more of a Samba thing, Samba and ZFS can work together. And every time a snapshot's created, it can have that present in far as through the SMB present as a shadow copy. This is actually a really cool feature because unlike the volume shadow copies that are within Windows, these are completely immutable uh, because it's just an emulation of VSS, not actual VSS. But to the end user pulling things across a share, that's pretty cool because the end user cannot, if their machine gets compromised, even though they have access to those, it cannot delete them. Uh, that's the immutability that comes with them. The only way they can be deleted is via C ZFS commands. So the only way to get to the ZFS commands is going to be through the TrueNAS console or through the web UI. So provided your web UI isn't tied to your domain login, this has always been a really good way to have a solid uh grasp on your data where users or something that happens at, at the user's workstation level doesn't come and destroy your data. So that's a tricky thing. I'm impressed it works as well as it does, but there was a little bug in it. And that's why there's a three release. And then shortly thereafter, a 3.1 release. 
Wow. Yeah, like like someone said in our chat room, um, a bug, a samba. What? Yeah. <laughs> never happened. Come on. Yeah. There's always. Yeah. You know, I and this is it, it's sad. It's just kind of the the universe um, and the way we sit right now in our world. We've adopted that. All right, we're going to take and emulate SMB, which is funny because I'm emulating SMB on my Pop OS, which is the most effective way to talk to my. Uh, true NAS that emulates the Microsoft file system as well. You know, it's a Microsoft protocol. It's not, it, I mean, it's documented to an extent, but it's not like modern by any means, but we, we've got technical debt and uh, that's the price we pay to run it. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. So all my updates are done and everything seems to work. Nothing broke. So that, that that's between both uh, true NAS and Proxmox and I, as we were talking, I was also adding tags to the instances because like the release notes mentioned, it's right there in the UI. And I just started adding tags, which I know XCPNG has had that for how long? Like, has it been since the inception or? Well, later on? tags are specifically a function of the Zen Orchestra tool. And they oh. make things really, really handy um, because you can you can first create tags on any type of resource. And I actually, I take that back. Maybe they are native to the platform as well. I always use them through X, uh, XO, but I think they're, they were actually available in the, um, there's a windows utility you can use to manage uh, Zen. I never use oh, it. Yeah. I mean, I used it in the early days, like the version six years ago, like six or seven years ago, but not recently, but the tagging is actually a cool feature. I talked about that in the UI and usability because uh, you can tag not just the virtual machines, but you can tag the resources attached to any specific pool, um, like tagging them production, tagging them, you know, lab or anything thereof. Kind of makes it easy when you're trying to hunt down, find resources when you have, well, very large infrastructure. Uh, we have a client with like right. 400 virtual machines across a dozen hosts. So uh, yes, they they use tagging because that's how you organize all the different areas of things. <laughs> yep. And for people that uh, are watching, like if you know, I just look over my shoulder, a little freaked out. My studio's in the basement. Every now, every now and then, we have this uh, centipede thing that just runs across the floor, and that's always pretty creepy. Anyway, um, <laughs> insect problems aside, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense when you have a lot of um, you know instances, a big environment. You, I mean, tagging can really help you categorize things and narrow them down i don't really think i have much of a need for tagging because for my operation i know i'm not a server relying uh, as other companies might be uh, obviously we have the server for this you know podcast here and, and also the channel but um i think tagging is still pretty cool because it it does help you kind of target certain instances you know instances that are in a spe you know specific category rather than uh, go through the list manually and just try to figure out which ones you are trying to uh, do some kind of task to. So, um, yeah, I think that is a pretty good feature of Proxmox 7.3 so far. Yeah, I mean, the thing is we manage these things at scale and you need scalability and tools to manage those large-scale things. That's uh, yep. a lot of what comes out of this. You know, that's one of the reasons my, my familiarity with with these tools are from using them in larger enterprises and things like that. But that's always been a, an absolute fascination to me that, Hey, the same tool for that person running all these hosts that have like half a terabyte or a terabyte of Ram in them also will work in your home lab on your Intel NUC. <laughs> like that's, that's a, that's a broad yeah. range uh, right there. You can run it on a NUC. You can run it on a million dollars uh, worth of equipment. <laughs> I think I love that so much and i think that's part of the home lab charm because it's 
at least for me, when I first started, there was just something magical about whenever the company bought a brand new server, you know, from Dell or whoever, and it, it comes in after about two weeks after you order it, because, you know, back then we didn't have instant gratification like we do now. And it comes in, we put it in the rack, we build the software, we, we get it running as good as we can, we, we test everything, and then we put it in production. And that was the only like involvement I had with that back then because, well, I mean, I, I can't afford to buy like a $10,000 server whenever I want to, you know, try something out. Nowadays, Offly servers, Raspberry Pis, Intel Nux, it's just so easy to have that, um, you know, server experience in your house. And it's just so cool to have that ability. Hmm. Um, I'll have note because I've seen someone ask this question in there. Uh, sync thing, I should probably do an updated video on it. That's a tool that I don't, yeah. I don't think we mentioned it here, but boy, that's added a ton of new cool features uh, for yeah. file synchronization. And NextCloud's had some version updates probably since we did the video on that. So there's there's a there's a lot of uh, little updates. We just didn't throw them into the show notes to uh, talk about it. But uh, Sync thing, since I've last done a video, has an entire way you can build untrusted nodes into the mix. So you can have a whole series of sync thing nodes, but the ones you trust the least uh, can carry only an encrypted copy of your data and only people you share a password with can decrypt the data. So you can actually have intermediary nodes that synchronize all the data, but they have no idea what they're syncing. So uh, it is it is a fun thing to uh, dive into some of these other tools. So we have plenty more videos we'll be coming up with on some of these. <laughs> oh, for sure. And there's no shortage of really cool things to talk about, especially as new versions of our favorite software is released. Yep. Oh, I seen someone ask about Ubiquity. There's gonna there's a big Ubiquity release coming soon, and I'll be ranting oh. about what I've found so far. So <laughs> yeah, we need to chat after this then. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk, we'll we'll talk about those details. So yeah. thanks everyone for joining us this update of the change. Uh, me and Jay both have videos on these topics where we dive a little bit deeper into it. I, Jay's got a whole video series on Proxmox 7.2 to get you started with it, and then click update and go to 7.3 so you can experience those uh, latest changes. Uh, I've got the most recent, if you want to see the web UI, the visual of things that have changed in TrueNAS, I just released a video on my channel about that. So go ahead and look for those TrueNAS November 2022 updates that I just posted about. But thanks again for joining us. And uh, we love hearing from you. So, you know, hit us up on the socials, use our feedback form. Uh, that way you can get in touch with us. We like to, you know, hear from you so we can answer questions and talk about the things that the Home Lab crowd is interested in. Thanks, everyone. Yep.